Strap in, folks. We're going to 1988 via the 24th century. Are we caught in a time vortex? Damn it, Spock! A wormhole? That's human lives we're talking about! Nah, we're just re-watching episode number 21 of Star Trek The Next Generation. Hey man, everybody's down here and we're suffering, man. It's the episode that tackles the war on drugs. These drug-addled freaks are going to kill us! And it doesn't forget to shock the shit out of number one on the way out. Absolutely John, hilarious. John, uh, give me your best electrocution face. <laughs> Just say yes to STTNGs. Coming at you right about... Now! Take a deep breath, number one. You know, I never get tired of counting down this podcast. I think I'm going to do it again. Hey, I never get tired of listening to you count it down. Five. Have you heard me say five lately? Huh? How about four? What about three? All right. Two. Talk about, talk about baby. And time for one. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Yay! <laughs> Who is that? Are those those children? <laughs> oh my god, it sounds like those children that the unnamed entity stole back on. Uh, I'm uh, one of the children who lives on the Enterprise. Yay! Welcome, little feller. We're, we're doing a Star Trek podcast here. I don't know if you knew that. I'm very excited. Listen, Jimmy, we're counting down all 178 episodes of your favorite show, Star Trek The Next Generation. And who are you? I'm Commander Dave E. Dave. Oh, wow. And I'm accompanied by... I'm Onarin Andrew. How very episode specific. Yes. I hope this, you know, I, this little kid's got to join us for the whole thing for God. For God no, no, God, no, God, no. Yeah, yeah. I, my, my, my pants are not tight enough for that. Hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got to pop this because... Behind the scenes, folks, I've been sitting here for a while, sweating, waiting to pop open that can. It's, it's a little early. And it's not because it's hot, ladies and gentlemen. It's because this is how much effort mm. we put into this mm-hmm. podcast. It is a physical struggle every episode. It's an, an exercise in endurance. And I got to tell you what, it's also an exercise in appetite. I only ate half of my dinner. Did you see? I made a sacrifice. I sacrificed for the fans. Because if I eat too much dinner before I do a podcast, I get ooh, get a little sleepy. That's amazing because I ate one and a half dinners. Thank you for eating for me. I appreciate You're welcome. That. You're welcome. I appreciate that. So what's this episode? What, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> hey, we're doing a podcast. This is episode right here is episode 21 of season one. Symbiosis. Symbiosis. I got to tell you from the start here, folks. It, it was a rough one for me, a rough one. This this episode is all about the uh, war on drugs, and that's not why it was rough for me. It was rough for me because I, I found it a little boring, to be honest. Um, you want to recap for us, Andrew? Oh, God, no. I mean, yes, yes, I can't wait. Um, it starts off with the uh, Imagine Enterprise. yourself back in 1988. <laughs> it all starts off with the Enterprise showing up at a solar system where the star is is going all wacky and they they want to see they've never seen this kind of solar activity before it's the intensity is incredible it's very bursty so if an episode <laughs> okay. of a space of, of space action in which the enterprise gets disabled by a solar flare and has to figure out how to escape a star is what you're after you're out of luck because instead we get this uh war on drugs campaign from the latter half of the 1980s, invoking the powerful message of Nancy Reagan's Just Say No, because the Enterprise gets a distress call and tries to rescue a freighter, which mm. has been caught in the star's magnetic field. Right. And what they discover is we have uh, two folks on there, two groups of people, the Breckens. Breckens, the Deutsch. And the Onarans. And uh, there's a bit of... Um, cargo what? that they're interested in a little little drama something called felicium that we're going to find out has some interesting properties in it and then the rest of the episode is just about the two sort of carping back and forth at each other about who actually owns the felicium and who doesn't bloody bloody blah oh and we find out that for some reason not really sure why these people are able to generate electricity like an electric eel. Very zappy. And they're able to like electrocute people right. to absolutely no end, but they can do it. 
yeah yeah it's a it's it's a cool effect i guess but you're right (laughs) they talk about it a bit but nothing nothing comes of it it's one of the two big distractions i mean the solar flare thing is is we we had just seen solar flares back in episode two right and and when i first started uh watching this episode way back in the day i thought oh no is this going to be like another tractor beam thing with wesley is he going to see it in his head again and we're going to push off off the sakowski or wherever the hell we're going to do Oh, right, right. After all that sturm and drang about the threat of the solar flares at the beginning, they, they just sort of peter out and we're just like, oh, well, solar flares, what you going to do? It's another one of those episodes where you, you wish they had explored a different part of the sun or something because the, or the star that they were at. This, <laughs> I mean, the, the idea was they, they get close and the solar flares somehow compromise their systems on the ship, which doesn't really mean a lot to the enterprise itself but it, it does seem to have affected the freighter uh, so on the freighter you have these these two peoples are on their ship flying really close to the sun i guess that's what they do for some reason we, we don't find this out at first do you want to give the big reveal now or should we like uh, pace it okay I, I, it, you've you've seen that you've seen the episode you were supposed to see the episode oh, if you didn't oh, right, see the right, episode right. then this yeah. is what you get and what you get is to find out that felicium is as as the cure for right. this ongoing plague, or at least a palliative that that handles debilitating symptoms of this plague. So the Breckens are the ones that produce the Felicium. They don't need it. They trade it to the Onarans for stuff. Right. It's remarkably valuable because without it, the Onarans, we are told, are going to die. So they're desperate to have it. But then we find out, what what felicia's actually <laughs> just a narcotic <laughs> no one's got any damn plague right they're just a bunch of stoners they're a bunch of junkies man so what happens is they have like withdrawals from the medicine and they don't seem to understand that that's what's happened so the breckens are are keeping these people hooked on their felicium that is correct Obviously, we've said they're on two different planets, but we we also find out that the Ornans are doing like all the labor, all the hard Ornarans. work. Ornarans, 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 Yes, uh, the Ornarans are doing all the labor, producing all the goods, doing all the things that the uh, Breckens should be doing. But instead, the Breckens are just producing this drug, and so this whole exchange has compromised the civilization, these two civilizations, for the last two hundred or so years. And you know what? I think they really missed an opportunity here because you, when you think about all the different guest stars they've had doing cameos and stuff yeah. and Trek over the years, they really could have had Matthew McConaughey in here. All right, all right, all right. You know, he could have been rolling up or or oh Sean Penn. Sean Penn, that, that was my go-to stoner, yeah. Or or Keanu Reeves, uh, Alex Winter. Dude. Somebody I know. could have been on that show as one of the Onarans. So the Enterprise shows up while they're monitoring the uh, sunburst or the sun spots or the what is what the hell are those flames called that come out of the sun for God's sake solar flares solar flares dum dum <laughs> every time you do that I imagine uh, Riker in his in his bedroom playing his his bone if you will <laughs> where's Jimmy when you need him Jimmy Jimmy come on back. <laughs> So the Enterprise spots the ship in distress near the star, and they call over to the ship. And the captain of the other ship answers, played by who? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, this is, uh, speaking of guest stars, we have a couple of guest stars. And yeah. this is probably one of the most commented on aspects of this episode, which right. tells you something about the episode, that we're really more concerned about the guest stars than anything right. else that's going on. Yeah. Uh, Merritt Buttrick, who is uh, famous, of course, for playing, do you remember David Marcus? Don't Don't think I don't. Uh, David Marcus is Captain Kirk's son. Wow. From Star Trek II, The uh, the Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The um, Search for Spock. Where's that Spock? Is that Spock over there? Hello, Mr. Mr. Nimoy. Mr. Nimoy, where are you? Uh, I'm going to recreate Merritt Buttrick's role in Search for Spock. Okay. Hey, I think that's him over there. Thank you. Yay! Jimmy, come on. Can you please cheer for that one? Yay! That's my favorite part of the whole episode. I like the the whole movie. I I mean, unfortunately for Merritt. Yay! 
Yay. Unfortunately for Merritt, that's also the 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 end of him in the original Star Trek series because he gets murdered by uh, Sir, Sir Christopher Lloyd. I don't know if you remember that. Klingon bastard. You. You killed my son. Yes, before he could get into that three-way deep palm far action with Spock and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Savick. Yes. Another Star Trek actor from... Um, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, was also with us in this episode. Are you talking about Judson Scott? And, and Judson Scott, for everyone, if you just look him up, and when you, as soon as you see his face, you go, oh, yeah, that guy. Because he's in a... Oh, yeah, Judson Scott. That's Judson, him. You just don't know him, but he's in he's in everything. I mean, he's got he's got such an unusual and recognizable face, but he was Khan's right-hand man back down on, on City Alpha 5, man. He was, he was helping Khan out. Everyone's going to bring up the fact that they were in Star Trek, too. But let's really remember where these guys got their start. Merritt Buttrick, of course, famously played Johnny Slash in Square Pegs in 1982. Yes. And that's the same year that Judson Scott would be playing Bennu of the Golden Light in The Phoenix. Now, both of these shows were very short-lived. The Phoenix, I've never, I've got to check that one out. I don't remember The Phoenix. I do remember Square Pegs. I love Square Pegs. Square Pegs, Square Pegs, Square, Square Pegs. Starring uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Theme song by The Waitresses. Ah, uh, really? Yes, why would I make that up? I don't know. But but can I say something else that you're you're totally forgetting? Everyone goes on about Judson Scott and Merritt Buttrick. Merritt Buttrick, Judson Scott. What what? What about Kenneth Tiger? Who the hell is he? I'm even wearing my Tiger Bomb t-shirt. I saw that. I mean, Kenneth Tiger is one of these guys. Again, you're talking about seeing Judson Scott and you're like, "Hey, I know that dude." You see Kenneth Tiger and you're like, "Oh, that's mm. Kenneth Tiger. He had a very important moment in a very famous film when okay. he plays he okay. plays the person who stands up to Loki in the Avengers. Uh, there's an older man, and Loki's like, "Everyone bow," and he's oh, like, "No, yes. you know, we is we." It's it's a, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty. Who are you enjoying a beverage? Oh, I'm sorry. Tell us more about about this uh, Kenneth Tiger. Well, he's in the episode for like 20 seconds. Mm. He plays the guy who's back on uh, Onara, and he's waiting for the... He's like, where's the drugs? Oh, we that, need them, man! Is that him? I love that. That's oh, I didn't know that's who it was. He was like... they. I, I mean, they're all over the place in this show with the drug stuff, because... Yes. Because, look, they uh, <laughs> these people are addicted to this stuff, right? But... There's all these different phases of 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 drug use going on. Like the when the Enterprise first shows up, and I and I'm referencing your whatever President Tiger down on the planet there because when he he picks up the phone a little bit later on, he goes, "Hey man, everybody's down here and we're suffering, man. Come on, send us something." And it's like, what? <laughs> like, so are the people like normally when they're on this stuff, they're like they're like goofy goofball. Uh, stoners well, is that the and that's part of that's part of the problems that the characterization right. is so weird because yeah. at first i mean and and picard gets to make some really great faces he does but it really looks at the beginning like they're rescuing some sort of space van and uh merritt buttrick's character to john is just like hey uh computer's not working too good man. right man something's wrong on my ship and picard's like oh uh, where's the captain dude i am the captain man dude i'm totally the captain right now you're so harshing my mellow and what's you know what's weird about those scenes too is right. that the breckens i wonder what the breckens were doing at the time because they're such a bunch of smug bastards right were they like freaking out at the time going, oh, my God, these drug addled freaks are going to kill us. But, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, that's so- an outtake. That's an outtake I would have loved to have seen. I, I know it would have been great because they're, they're like, apparently these goof- goofballs are they're piloting the ship with the Breckens on it. Right. But the Breckens are letting these drug these drug infused pilots fly across space from one planet to the next. Right. To pick up their drugs. I'm not sure why they're on the right, ship. With them. Right. It seems seems a little dangerous. Right. Especially since, well, yeah. I mean, they have transporters. They, they, right. you know, they could have easily just beamed that crap around. If, if, if you, if you do felicium, don't drive, and if you drive, don't do felicium. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the big problem is that they're on the ship. The Breckens are on the ship, and they brought their money. No, 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 no. The other way around. The, the other Anarans, way around. Sorry. The Anarans bring the money. They don't bring money, right? They bring essentials. Okay, is that what it is? It's not actual money. No, it's not money. They. 
Because yeah, they, it's yeah, that's right. They're, they're they're giving them goods. They're giving them goods. Is what they're doing. Goods like actual things, food and uh, goods and whatever. services. Whatever they do, though, like what what do you think they're making on that planet when that when the president answers the phone like in such a in such a goofy way? What what kind of stuff are they actually giving the Breckens? Is like, I mean, like there's like pots that are put together all <laughs> fucked, <laughs> fucked up and forks with like five prongs on them or something. And we depend. We depend on. <laughs> we depend the on the Anarans for a full array of macrame belts. I mean, what are they... And felt and felt hats. What are they good at? I mean, they can't... They don't have their doses of this Felicium every, apparently, couple hours. They're they're useless. And then when they are dosed up, they're goofy as shit. It would have been great to see the Breckens wearing, like, a bunch of tie-dyed shit. You know, <laughs> wearing, like, tie-dyed t-shirts that are like, yeah, this is what they make us. We like it. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, we'll wear it. You guys <laughs> just keep making it. Hang on, let me, let me reach into my hemp fanny pack to get out the information you need captain hey man look at this thing we just invented it man check it out and they're like oh what is it what is it, it it's a flipping hacky sack dude you hit it with your <laughs> foot like this get your foot out man <laughs> you can make a bong out of that yeah man these 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 fucking onarans are just amazing they can make a bong out of anything look at this one man i got it last episode it's an echo papa a drone you turn it upside down <laughs> pop a hole and you can suck a lot of the gas right through it man it's good back when my my dog was still with me my beloved sophie the dog we would go for these very long walks but i would find something like a a a plastic water bottle and a hose right. and some duct tape yeah. and i'm just like wow these are pretty clever bongs i mean these kids nowadays are pretty innovative because when i was a kid all we did was like all we did would get like a pep pepsi can and poke a hole in it you know and dent it <laughs> or we'd do it with an apple or something like that but these kids are doing a whole craft thing now yeah. <laughs> apple i always thought that was a weird idea I was never that crafty. I was never that crafty. I was just around a bunch of crafty stoners, but I myself was never that crafty. Yeah, I've seen people get to get really busy with their with their uh, with their drugs. It's amazing. It's amazing what they think of. Well, I admire the vision. Uh, yeah. Well, you got to do something with all that energy, right? Before you get before you stone it out of yourself. So that when the Enterprise goes to the ship, though, they call Picard calls over and has this exchange from one one captain to the other. Right. And Buttrick is this is this stone goofy captain on the other side and he's very confused. There's some funny lines by Picard. He's really frustrated because he doesn't seem to be getting through to this guy and doesn't know he's stoned or whatever. And that's where the drug confusion comes in because this guy's low on his felicium, I think, unless they just had a little taste. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's goofy, so maybe they just get maybe that's the problem. They get goofier when when they don't have it, I don't know. But he's confused, and he's missing a. Is it a warp coil? Is that what it is? There's, there's a coil. Some kind of coil kind of needs coil. to be realigned. But that's here. They don't. They have no idea how their ships run, right. and they're only down to like two or three ships. Right. And they, they were down to three, and then one blew up. I mean, it's important right. to note that the Breckens are completely worthless, right? I mean, as, right. They're they're uber worthless. As bad as the Onarans are. So this thing, the clock's running on this thing anyway. You would think that they would, so one of these peoples would be keeping the ships up at least because they got to get from yeah. one planet to the next with this stuff. But yeah, there's a funny exchange with this warp coil business because our captain, our Picard, is like, um, you know, we'll, we'll get you a warp coil. We'll send it on over. And he's like, uh, dude, I don't know how to install it, man. And and so like that's how little they know about the ship, right? Right. You know the ship's getting pulled, the the, the cargo ship's getting pulled into the star, and they're gonna. <laughs> Picard tells them, you know, why don't you go to your transporter room? But then he realizes that that command, that asking them to do that, would be too complicated from because of the exchange that he's already had with them. And so he just says, lock onto them and let's just beam their asses out of there because they're so stupid. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I, I I think all of this perfectly encapsulates the idea. You know, the, the idea that people had in the late 80s, especially at different levels of society, about what it meant to be taking drugs. Yeah. Right. And they were they were still trapped in this this 1960s drugs. notion of 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 drugs and drug use. Right. And, you know, that we mentioned Nancy Reagan or just say no campaign. Yeah. If if, if you all didn't have the privilege to being alive in the 1980s. You know, the anti-drug thing. I, I mean, I was introduced to drugs by Nancy Reagan. 
I mean, I didn't know a thing about drugs until Nancy Reagan came around and started telling me <laughs> how I'm not supposed to be doing these drugs. And I was worried for years, like, when are these drugs going to show up? And I'm going to start being, you know, <laughs> told I better use them. I mean, Nancy Reagan, Nancy. And then I was thinking, like, Nancy Reagan is like my grandma. I mean, what does Nancy Reagan know? I mean, it was a very complicated relationship Dave? I was having with Nancy Dave? Reagan. Let me, let me. Dave, it's me, Nancy. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to come by later in the van, and I need you to come out. We're going to listen to some 8-track tapes in the back of my van. I just got some shag carpeting in, but I want you to smoke this doobie with me. <laughs> Nancy, is that you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she, well, listen, she was, you know, all first ladies take on their own campaigns. You know, Hillary, Hillary had her uh, every... Healthcare. She had healthcare, healthcare but, dude. She was trying to get healthcare she, going. She had healthcare. And then, but then she had that. Wasn't that the, the what's her famous stupid line about the village? What is it? It takes a village to raise a child, dum dum. Yes. Uh, well, it may be that may be a stupid line, sure, but sure as hell is better than just say no. It's not stupid. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing to say. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm just saying that all the first ladies, you know, they have their pet projects. And Nancy's was was a war on drugs. So it was a it was a very interesting time to be a young uh, suburban white kid and trying to figure things out. Well, but also the idea of the just say no is yeah. so shallow. It's it like, well, why don't you just say no? Why don't you just you're like, you know, your life sucks. Right. Everything is going horribly for you. Life sucks. But you know what? That's fine. Just say no. You'll 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 be fine. And it's like, well, no, it completely ignores not only what you're talking about with uh, the Reagan Bush years, but also the conditions that Tasha Yar of all people mentions yes. as creating drug addiction, the idea of poverty and misery and hopelessness. And people just want to escape their circumstance. It's like, oh, there's that too. Yeah. I mean, yes. Just say no to hopelessness. Say no to despair. Well, not everybody gets to be, you know, movie star and be the first lady of the United States. It's, it's tougher on other people. Nancy, no offense. Uh, you know, her heart was in the right place. What heart? <laughs> I, I, I would, I would yes. also point out, please, that this became a real popular campaign because you had things like Mr. T. She was hanging out with Mr. T. It was on every television right. show. So this is back when these television shows were getting a lot of heat for, you know, some of their content. So they would try to have these like more, you know, right. kind of public announcement. Different strokes, I think, famously used the catchphrase, I think first, but it was on a very special episode. So they had a very right, special right. episode where, right. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're touching on this because this is the thing that I always associate with the war on drugs or with just say no, is that Nancy Reagan made an appearance on different strokes, believe it or not, on a very special episode of different strokes. And the, right. and, and <laughs> uh, Gary Coleman goes up to the door, um, opens the door up and there's Nancy Reagan standing at the door, standing in his front door. Can you believe it? And then the crowd goes wild because it's shot in front of a live studio audience at the time. Well, yeah, actually, I can believe it because he was he had uh, Gary Coleman's character. Arnold yes. had been adopted by a rich white guy. So I absolutely believe that that she would show up at the door. <laughs> Nancy could have shown up. What are you talking about, Willis? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about, Willis? Of what is this that you speak, Willis? It's amazing to me that he is the last man standing. That, that's what gets me. It's like yeah. you thought for anything, if if anyone was going to go, it was Todd Bridges. Like that dude was dancing on the edge. I know. And somehow he has outlived all of them. He has not only outlived <laughs> Bane, Conrad Bane, he's outlived right. Conrad Bane's twin brother, Boner. Oh, I and that is just amazing to me. Oh. What are you still living about, Willis? <laughs> Conrad Bane's brother, Boner. I forgot all about that. That show is so offensive in so many ways. It's just so wrong. Along come two, they got nothing but day jeans. <laughs> but then I was thinking if she shows up, it's like, ding dong. And then it's like, Archie, someone's at the door. <laughs> Archie, it's, it's Nancy Reagan. Meathead, get up. Hey, Archie. 
Richie. Hey, Meathead, get up and answer the door there. I mean, she's not she's not showing up on good times. Let's let's be clear. I mean, she's <laughs> showing up. What if what if she showed up at every show? Wouldn't that be funny? That had a black person on it, which was about four shows at, at the most. Right, right. <laughs> so right. she could have done it. Well, it'd be okay if she showed up on the Jeffersons right. too, because of course they were living in a in a deluxe apartment in the sky. Right. But she sure as hell wasn't going to show up on Good Times. Oh, I love Good Times. Good Good Times is a great show. Good Times is a great show. What I want to talk about too, though, making is some waves. In the sand. Temporary layoffs. Good times. Easy credit ripoffs. Good times. But none of that's as good as, oh, as man. the Jeffersons. I mean, moving on up to the east side. Deluxe apartment in the sky, number one. Okay, so I want to go back to this fact that the narrative has yes. changed considerably now. And, and and you know, the- You mean the drug narrative. The Just Say No campaign is, is looked yeah. upon with, yeah, is-, is pretty much looked upon with disdain because it absolutely makes no accommodation for any kind of uh, sympathy, understanding, compassion. It was all just, just pretend you're not having any problems. It'll be fine. Now the story really about, you know, healthcare, taking care of oneself, taking care of others, the social responsibility, but that the, that the onus that the, the negativity is now pointed more at, at pharmaceutical companies these giant drug companies, I, I think probably best characterized by that Martin Shkreli guy, pharma bro, who bought a uh, a medicine that was being sold at like, what, 14 bucks a oh, dose right. and cranked it up to like 750 bucks a dose. Yes. Just absolutely obscene increase that he did just for the profit. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, this is like medicine. People need to stay alive. Right. It's not just a matter of just say no in this case. And I think probably because pharmaceuticals are such a large part of so many people's daily survival that that narrative has switched. I I see that kind of smugness that we saw in this Martin Shkreli guy, because he really is a smug bastard in the uh, Ornarans, especially in Langor. Her name is Langor, for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah. When she sits there and says, you know, the Onarans provide us with the necessities of life and we provide them with the necessities of living. It's a fair exchange. And they're just so smug the whole time. They are very smug. They're so smug and they're all like, oh, Captain, you have such a nice ship. Thank you for the juice. Is that what they're drinking? Some kind of juice or something in their quarter? I don't know what that is. There, yeah, it's like replicator. There's a scene where their two Breckians are lounging about in their room before our captain shows up. Langor is literally languishing. Yeah, she's. Uh, that's that's how bad this is. <laughs> she's all Langor lang- is languishing. She's all languished out on that couch. That's for sure. It's also a strange thing to happen in a Star Trek episode. This this just say no thing. And how many of these kind of social messages are embedded this overtly and ham fistedly? I mean, sure, there's always that undercurrent of social progress that we've talked about before. But when Tasha turns to Wesley and Wesley's like, Data, I don't understand drugs. <laughs> and Tasha turns around and says, well, Wesley. Since I'm going to be dead soon, let me share this with you. <laughs> Sorry, Tasha. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's basically, she says that thing I just said about there's so much poverty right. and violence. Well, right, and violence and the, and the idea that, I mean, you can totally get why people on Tasha's planet, I mean, there's there are these rape gangs running around on the planet trying to, do, I mean, whatever yes. they're doing. I mean, with bad stuff. And she's she's running around through tunnels with her cat. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she rose above all that and left that place, that wretched planet, whatever it was called, and and joined Starfleet. That's what you do. You don't just sit around and take drugs. Wesley is the absolute worst spokesman for this because he has lived the most privileged and sheltered life. I mean, okay, his father is dead. That's terrible. That does suck. I will I will totally admit to that. But we found out last episode that his mother was part of some doomed colony. Right. And she has lost her husband. True. And he's basically been like, la, 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 la. I'm going to play with the censors again. Sometimes the, tra- right. sometimes the traveler might show up. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me, tell me how wonderful I am. Everyone thinks I'm special. Everyone thinks I'm special. And I. You are special. Now shut up. <laughs> but it's hey it's, listen listen it's, listen it's been a long time we we can't let this show deteriorate like that because i i told you in the beginning we're not gonna have a 
anti Wesley show, or I'm not going to be a part no, of that. Well, show. well, I'm going to say this. So, so the last time yeah. we had solar flares, Wesley saves the ship. That's true. All right. He has incredibly important character moments and saves the mm. ship. This time he's just a stooge for a PSA. Right. And it's not his fault. No. It's not his fault. Well, yeah, at all. He doesn't write the lines. Yeah. I'm not blaming Will Wheaton any more than it was his fault to have to wear that little snow outfit. <laughs> I love a that. couple episodes up, up in uh, Angel One. I can't wait till he puts that thing back on again. This this whole situation, mm-hmm. it would have been great if if someone like Worf or something had looked to him and go, Dude, you're such a square. It's we, like you are so you are very L7. <laughs> that means square. L7 yeah. means square. That, I think that was L7 was back on square pegs even. Yes. Our bong is made from a human skull crusher. Come to my quarters later and snort some targ shit with me. <laughs> no. Straight from the horn. <laughs> Targ is uh, Klingon. Targ is Worf's old pet, just in case nobody remembers. <laughs> Which was like a what a pig or a dog or something in a blanket. Th- th- this also raises the whole question about this twenty third century utopia, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no drugs, man. So are we supposed to believe there's no there's no substance abuse at all? There's no drugs in the Federation. No, I want to see if that sticks because when once the uh, Anorans get on the ship. Beverly tries to treat them. They well, they reveal they have this plague, which is really just an addiction. But Beverly tries to treat them, and and they have all the signs of people that are having withdrawals from something and an addiction. And she acts like, as a medical doctor, she's never seen this. So not only in the Federation, but the Federation runs into all these other planets, right? So they've never encountered a planet where there's been but she does she does recognize it as a narcotic effect i mean that she does she does but not at first not at first it takes her right right yeah she's the one that identifies it and then she does some good she just gets up to some good work in this episode she actually does something which is important i'm I'm just saying that it's not recognizable on the surface and i think i think we, we get it watching the show faster than the crew does which is i mean i'm putting that on our on our, our, our on the ground knowledge of being in, you know, 1988 and not, you know, the 24th century. Right. So the, the, the 20, the 24th century, they're so self-realized. We understand that there is some degree of crime, obviously, and they understand that they're busy defending themselves. They have weapons for God's sake, and they have right. a, uh, a, a star fleet for, for heaven's sakes. And there is that, uh, conversation during justice when Picard has more talk, um, that discussion about, you know, how they detect the seeds of crime and then deal with it, right. which again was, was tantalizing because we never found out exactly what they, we don't know what they do. But is that the same thing here with addiction? If there is some psychological, biological, emotional basis for addiction, is there something about the dynamics of the 21st century that deals with it? Who the hell knows? Good luck to you. Yeah, it's like they put those people in a transporter and 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 drain that drain those bad traits <laughs> out of them, right? Bean them back to a time when they weren't addicted. Right, right. Can we? Yes. I was going to say, can we talk about Picard and Crusher here for a minute? Because we brought up Beverly, and I got to say, you know, I love Beverly, and we're not going to have that many episodes with her left. As bad as it is for Yar, we're running out of Beverly. Yeah, here. for a while though, she Beverly comes back. We lose Beverly Not fast enough. We lose Beverly for a season, and then um, and then she comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, you're anticipating that shift. Well, you know what? What bothers me about it is this is the second consecutive episode where we right. have this really good engagement between Picard and Crusher, and right. even if they don't want to go into a romantic track, right? They have a lot of shared experience. They have a lot of in common. They have a lot of overlap, and they could continue to have overlap and things in common, right? And actually develop a fairly healthy friendship. But you know that's not going to happen. Instead, she's going to get shuttled off to God knows where. I think Starfleet Academy is where she goes. And we get Kate Pulaski. And then when she comes back, it's never the same. They, yeah, yeah. They lost their window. Well, I do think it is interesting. It's more interesting to have them be like they are in this episode. And, and the one, the last one had a little hint of romance. But just this idea that the two of them are solving problems together and they're putting their brains together and they and they respect each other. He respects her and he you know, counts on her, counts on Crusher. I like seeing them play off each other and they do it really well. 
in this episode. She questions him. She challenges his morality when it comes to the idea of, again, our beautiful prime directive. And, and Picard is really preaching his, his church of the prime directive and whether or not he will interfere with these two races of people and their uh, very complicated and inappropriate relationship. You know, I read an interesting note that I didn't bring up last time about Arsenal Freedom, that and it was someone criticizing the episode, saying if this had been an original series episode, there at least would have been a debate over whether or not, you know, something like the Echo Papa and, and weapons, munitions and stuff like that was even a good idea. So so Spock would have taken the position like, oh, it's highly practical and very efficient. Right. And then, ah, interesting, you know, uh, McCoy would have gone, damn it, Spock. Damn it, that's human lives we're talking about. But instead, <laughs> oh it was God. just sort of assumed. Blow my earbuds off. Sorry. It was just assumed <laughs> in Arsenal Freedom that it's bad. You know, right. these weapons are bad. And here mm. we actually have that mm. kind of point counterpoint. True. In the long run, obviously, it's it's a fixed argument because Picard's point is like the main point of Starfleet. But her point about right. the immediate and the compassionate and the suffering is really well made, and it's it's really potent. It is, and I, I, I think the the way they resolve it is interesting, and it is a little more complicated than some of these other episodes have um, ended, because Crusher wants to solve this problem by giving them some kind of, you know, another drug that will help alleviate the uh, withdrawals, the, the, the symptoms the yeah, that they're yeah. having. And mm-hmm. so Beverly is pushing to give them this and to help them stop being addicted to this drug that's supposed to be curing, supposedly curing their plague. And, and Picard's like, no, 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 Beverly, not only that, we won't tell them they don't have a plague for God's sakes. So, right. You know, I could see one of the things I could see the original series doing also that they don't do here is that I could totally see, well, first of all, McCoy would have just gone ahead and done what he wanted to do, but I could see on the original show, them more slyly like you know deciding they're going to drop a bomb of uh, of this antidote into their water supply or something like that you know something that they didn't know or you know they there wouldn't have been such a passive response to helping them and what they do at the end i mean picard resolves it by creating a situation where eventually they'll have to deal with this he forces the issue and we've just seen in too short a season we just see what happens when you completely disregard the prime directive and give everyone weapons so i'm good with that but beverly actually does push a good point it's like okay so how does this work because picard's like you know this situation has existed for a long time we don't want to impose our values but she's like, yeah at the same time we have exploitation we have clear injustice right Right. I mean, there's a clear case of injustice and cruelty going right. on. What do we do about that? <sighs> and it's not just that the, the Breckens are smug. I mean, they, they make you hate <laughs> Yeah, they them. don't. They're, they make they're you not. They're not uh, it would have been interesting if they didn't play them like that, if they if they were complicated in some way or they they somehow endeared themselves to the Enterprise crew. Because the other actors who are playing the, the drug addict, you see them only as kind of they're a little goofy in the beginning, and then they're just having withdrawal. So they're just in pain and they're suffering the whole time. So they're not great characters. They're just people who are suffering. I also don't see why relieving suffering is interfering. But see, this is what's killing me about this Prime Directive. And I know I've made this point before. I just don't get it. It's a very interesting idea to come to the planet and then say, well, we can't interfere because it's going to change the course of their history. But what? What the hell? Like, why? Like, why don't why can't the show just be about them going to other planets and doing stuff? I don't understand why there have to be these rules about like we can't interfere until they're ready. These guys, because I think why? Like, why can't you just have all these social issues playing out? And it's not this debate about whether we should interfere in another country. I mean, it's it's a very specific thing that the show is obsessed with. Because I think that's part of it. And again, I think it has to do with historical perspective and the understanding of the role that this kind of interventionism has played and the results of it that they're experiencing in the late 80s and early 90s, and as as we will going forward from the late 80s, and in fact, probably much earlier. You know, the time of this kind of serious American, like blatant, American interventionalism right. and the the results of that falling out make them a little more conscientious. There at least is a concern here 
that we're not just imposing our values, that we're trying to be careful about indigenous people in their culture. Eh, I mean, it's, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. And of course, a lot of it too also has to do with, you know, creating dilemmas in the writing since you can't really have the Starfleet characters confronting each other. You can have them confronting the prime directive. I know. I, it's just, it's so, I, I mean, I get it. I get what you're saying. And I think that's, it's, it's, I think it's an interesting commentary and I think it's an important thing to say, but at the same time, it just, it causes more problems and it just, it just grinds down the drama for me. It's not in the fun of the original show. I know the original show had some, I don't know if they called it a prime directive, but they had some sort of guiding principle, right? General is like general order one or something like that. (laughs) It had something to do. Well, because they were having problems with people going down and and like we talked about before with that book about the gangsters right. and Bella Oxmix, but also just saying, hey, let's cre- recreate Nazi Germany right. here. This looks like a good idea. So, yeah, I could see where they would have to sort of shore up the prime directive a little bit. It's like, you know what? This Nazi thing is not a good look for us. We got to clamp down on that a little bit. Sorry, but it makes a very interesting episode. I mean, that's the thing. I love that. These shows are very different and they're different on purpose and they're they're different because of the eras that they were made in. I'm talking about the original series and Next Generation. Sure. And, and I and I get it. The idea that these things need to speak from the time that they existed in. And so it totally makes sense. And I hear what you're saying about the 80s. And that's right. I just I miss the fun of the original show and the action of it. And I know that this show picks up as it moves forward and it becomes something else beyond what it is now it evolves into a a tighter better show i do miss the the fun of running around and you know shooting stuff getting caught in nazi germany on a uh, on another planet and having to figure their way out and then also also saying something about something the messages in star trek have been there from the beginning and i think that that's great i think it's interesting to talk about things through science fiction well but you're all upset here because they said not to take drugs now you want them not to Come on now. What do you want? You want the kids on it's drugs? Not the dr- come on, Dave. It's not, the, it's not that. It's the heavy-handed part of it. That's the part that bothers me. It's just like, come on. Can you cloak it a little bit more in the writing? Does it have to be just so literally right there in your face, Mr. Roddenberry? So let me ask you a question before we get to Mr. Roddenberry. Does this episode make you feel like weird about Picard? Or do you feel more sympathetic towards him? I mean, does it change the way you see Picard? Are you saying because he makes this hard decision to not give them the cure to their addiction? Because that's how he leaves the episode. Yeah. He leaves the Breckens on the Onarans planet, and they've got to kind of basically figure it out, right? Which is going to lead eventually. It's going to lead to all these people having to go through some kind of detox and, you know, realizing they don't actually have a play. Right, right. Which could lead to some serious bloodshed in and of its right. own, right? I mean, I, I I, don't know how you'd be feeling at the time, but I'd be pretty pissed. Well, but see, that's the whole thing about this. And I don't want to deviate too far from what you asked, but this is the whole thing about this intervention. I mean, if the Enterprise hadn't come along and pick these guys up off of that ship, all the, all of them would have died. You would have had the, the drug right, deal, right. The, their ship would have exploded, and and the Felicium would have been gone, and the people on Arnara would have been without their drugs, and they would have had to send another ship, I guess, eventually, to, to get more of the drugs. But, you know, that, that was total Starfleet intervention right there. But, I mean, does do I feel differently about my captain? I don't know. I, I, I feel like he has to make hard decisions sometimes, and I, and I, I, I see him making kind of that bold decision so i i don't know i don't feel i i think it was character development for me seeing picard make that kind of choice i do think it gives some insight to him having some hard choices to make and not being able to go for the immediate compassion when i when i think about kirk for instance or mccoy they they would have been totally all over this they 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 would have like been taking the Breckens out and and taking care of business that way. And that's just not something Picard does. And we've talked about this already. Picard is not going to destroy your civilization. He's not going to blow up your planet just because it's being run by a computer. He's going to be much more thoughtful. And that, that sort of strong, compassionate, emotional humanist argument mm. that comes out of uh, Beverly here right. is something I think we would have heard from Kirk or McCoy before. That's true. Picard does come out with an elegant way to settle it, but it does sort of bother me a little bit that the dynamic becomes, you know, Picard's like the knowing, all wise, calm 
daddy. Big daddy. And Beverly's just a little bit too hysterical. Right. Yeah, I know that. Cool. I mean, I don't care for that dynamic. Calm down. Calm down. Because she's she's being short-sighted. It's true. I mean, it, but it does say something, too, about the authority. I mean, there's this idea of the boardroom where everybody's, in, the, in this episode, it's Beverly. And Beverly's, because it's her specialties, but it's Beverly and... Picard working together, but it isn't an equal workplace. And I, I, I know that he's a captain, but there's <laughs> there's this idea of rank, which always gets muddy when you have a team of people who are supposed to be advising the captain. And why isn't Beverly's point of view validated more than it is by Picard? It's, he's like, nope, nope, I'm shutting that shit down right now, Beverly. <laughs> it does hurt my heart to know that this kind of dynamic is not what they persevered with. They play so well off each other, and they have for this entire first season when they've had the opportunity. Yes. When you get rid of the romance part of it, which is is not necessary at all, right? I mean, they could be doing the whole Riker and Troy thing too, and just, you know, they're still in Zotties, but they're, they're concentrating on their work. Right. She's got her hands full, right? Yeah. We even see that in one one zero zero one zero zero one zero one zero one zero zero one. With the binos, you mean? Uh, yes, in the planet Binus. When she's like, listen, I'm going to go off and I'm going to go investigate this thing that I totally forgot that she was going to investigate. Mm-hmm. But it had some depth yeah. to it. It's like, you know, there's more to her life than just pining right. over Jean-Luc. Beverly. G- she's she's the... Beverly, go. She's the captain. Sorry, go ahead, you do your thing. <laughs> She's what I remember my my line just finished, please. You know, I mean, she's the the doctor, the chief physician, chief medical officer of a galaxy class starship. For right. Christ's sake, it's, she's got plenty to do. Speaking of heartbreaking goodbyes, we're rounding out on the uh, the end of our yar run. I believe this is the second to last yar episode. Are you telling me that? Um, this is Yar's actual last episode? This is the last one Denise Crosby filmed, so it's it's pretty well known that she's waving at the end of her final on-camera scene there. I didn't, you know what? Uh, because that was the last thing she had shot, and it's just, I don't know. I mean, you she's really kind of clicking in this episode again, too. I mean, she phasers yeah. those people apart. She's got that good behave, gentlemen, line. I mean... Yeah, they're zapping each other with their electricity, yeah. They really should have, and I'm going to say this, and this is blasphemous, and this says nothing against Jonathan Frakes, God bless him, but they should have whacked him. No. And kept her. I would have been very happy with a Starship Enterprise that was Picard, Beverly, Data, Jordy, and Worf. Sure. And Tasha. That should have been it. What about Troy? No, no. We didn't even mention that. The fact that Troy, once again, Troy is like, listen, you can't trust these people. These people are up to something. Well, let's go talk to them, but let's not bring Troy. I know she says something that's so obvious, and it's like it doesn't take an empath to figure it out. that They're not revealing everything about themselves. She tells them this, and you're like, well, no shit. Come on. I mean, can't those powers work a little bit better than that? But no shit. But then but then, if you have this human lie detector or this beta Z lie detector, take her with you in the room and just say, oh, by the way, this is my beta Z. Now what do you guys got to say? Yeah. And they're like, it does make. We'll tell the truth now, Captain. It does make you wonder why they put her character in at all. It is really hard to get. It's hard to understand that, you know, because it creates a whole bunch of problems with the writing. There's been a number of episodes where she just doesn't exist on the ship because they don't want to stick her in there because it makes it too hard to right, exactly. create a story if somebody can read minds. Wait a second. I can figure this stuff out. So take her, take, yeah. take, take her, take okay. Riker. They could adopt Wesley and they could travel throughout the world on the Drake. Remember that was supposed to be Riker's ship? Riker's old he ship. He could take the Drake. He could take his Imzadi with him and they could go wander <laughs> off and they don't need to be clogging up the Enterprise and we could have kept Tasha. Yeah, well, there's, well, well, but the, look, I mean, uh, Denise Crosby wanted to leave. It wasn't like they wanted to whittle down the cast i mean they they surely needed because there was nothing for her to do uh, i know and i i know i i'm disappointed but at the same time i don't i still don't know what i mean maybe she hasn't had a yar specific episode yet okay she's not doing a lot more than Worf is and we've had a Worf episode and all about Worf and we haven't had a yar episode but she's doing just about as much as Worf is when she's running around the ship and we're about to have one next episode i mean i don't know i like her i i would have liked to have seen more of her it's disappointing but i honestly you know here's the, the thing about deanna troy if they could have made deanna troy work 
right? If she, if that, if they could have taken that premise of that character and then done something really amazing with it, like like using her all the time to kind of outthink these silly plots, it would have taken the storytelling up another level if they could have used her more. They could have used Tasha to pump up the action. And that would have been more interesting. I'm sorry, but especially in this particular situation, it's the second time that Riker has been held hostage. And that look on Frank's face when he's being electrocuted, too, that just cracks me up every time. He's like, "Eh?" and it's it's. It's hilarious. The, it's absolutely hilarious. The director's like, John, John, uh, give me your best electrocution face. And he's like, he has to stand there frozen while, you know, when we're watching the show, we see this electricity dancing all over him, right? And he's all animated up. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, in reality, there's a crew there going, uh, okay, John, uh, look like you're being electrocuted and then, and then hold it. For a good five minutes while we shoot you from all these angles. And then, or, you know, it was obviously not five minutes, it was hours, but he's standing there and he's got the expression on his face. I mean, you got to give him credit for staying really still because he does, right? Like while he's getting shocked. But the look at his face is like, who looked at that look and said, and, I mean, you could just see poor, poor Frakes afterwards in the dailies going, why didn't you guys tell me I look like this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, listen, again, I, this is nothing against Jonathan Frakes. And it's really nothing against uh, William Riker. And I think you could have done something with William Riker. Like I said, put him on another ship with Troy and Wesley and let him go do their thing. <laughs> Spin up. But no, seriously, seriously, yeah. I would have been so into it. They make this big deal out of these people's electro powers. Riker and Yar have this right. whole conversation about like, gosh, I wonder if they have to recharge him. I wonder this. I wonder that. And then Tasha's like, well, I better be ready for him. And Riker's like, yeah, you better be, which is such a dick thing to say. And then it's like, well, appears you didn't listen because you weren't ready. Dumbass. Right. Yeah. Then he gets zapped by them. It's silly because they don't do a thing with those powers. I mean, it could have been it it really could have been a, a different kind of an episode. I mean, it was a cool feature. Uh, you know, it's cool to have little special effects, but there there wasn't much to be done with that. No, and it would have been great to see Tasha Yar like take them on. You know, oh, yeah. it, it it would have been great to see her sort of kung fu them or something, or get him with the phaser again. Exactly. Or what if one of them uh, zap data and he, he, you know, his panels go popping out of his head and stuff? That would have been excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the solar flares. It's like, well, what's the point to this? And I have no problems with them adding some like background detail and background elements to give the the show a little more depth but right. you know do something with it yeah, li- listen 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 I, I i don't know i i when this one started when i started watching this i was like oh man this episode because i forgot all about it kind of i mean the, the writing's good but it was a bit of a dull episode and and tough to watch it's 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 tough to revisit the drug war of the 80s that is 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 my thing well it's definitely tough to re- to revisit the the drug war and it's definitely tough to see them handle it in such a ham-fisted manner there could have been so much more to do with it than they did especially in in light of how that narrative has shifted you see the potential but again we've talked about the fact that they're like slamming these episodes out as fast as they can they're running short on time well and you know what what struck me too is that this more and more that this is the result, not so much even of, you know, an older school studio system where you're having to punch these episodes out. Right. But when you have more than one or two, like people with a singular vision that are moved, not so much to create a franchise show, but to create a show that tells a story. Right. And I was thinking about this in the context of shows like Game of Thrones, even though it didn't end very well. Mm. You know, that was basically two guys running right. the show. And when you have a quote unquote showrunner, which is, of, of course, a lot more commonplace right. now to have a showrunner who has a coherent sense of what a narrative is going to be, just like they're doing with that Picard show, just right. like they're doing with that Discovery show. Mm. We have an arc. We have a story to tell. This is how we're going to tell it over these so many episodes. And that's not the case here. No. And again, I go back to that X-Files too. And I'm thinking about this a lot because of the X-Files. There is that narrative. Because you're doing a rewatch of the X-Files. Yes, right I'm now, doing right? a rewatch of the X-Files with my wife. And and we see that there's a narrative. Right. There's the UFO conspiracy narrative. And then there's the monster of the week episodes. Right. And that's a pretty good blend. I'm okay with that, though. It's kind of weird. Something earth shattering happens. And then the next episode, they pretend it didn't happen. So they could go find yeah. some guy. It's half man half orangutan or something and i i really do like the x-files a lot 
it was this evolution of TV making, but it still had its foot in that old, you know, we're going to have to make 24 episodes. I mean, and they were most of them very good episodes, but it was still very episodic. You know, you still had the two types of episodes you're talking about. One was a narrative that continued and then it was interrupted by these monster of the week episodes, which were very like episode specific. You just had the whole story was told and then self-contained and they were good stories. They were good, scary stories. You know, you were getting a character evolution of Mulder and Scully growing through the season. You could watch any of the episodes out of order as long as they weren't the other narrative about the UFOs, because then you get really confused. Still, it's like that that's an old fashioned style of television making that that Star Trek was deeply engulfed in and most almost all shows through the 70s 60s 70s 80s these big shows had to put out 24 episodes a year they didn't have even this idea of creating a story arc even though you did have some excellent shows like i've said before the botchko shows which were like later night adult shows on nbc at the same time that were putting out some narrative shows that you had to stay up on them you had to watch them from week to week well, the difference is that those Botchko shows took on some of the trappings of soap operas, right? They did. They had these continuative narratives. ER, ER is the same way. Right. It has this continual kind of narrative soap opera going on, these romances between the doctors and the nurses, the personal struggles of the doctors and the nurses, right. et cetera, et cetera, that you don't see forming here. I would like to uh, bring up something in case we don't ever have a, uh, another drug uh, episode again. Both of us, yes. both of us, grew up in Southern California, so local stations had their own. The more you know, kind of drug campaigns with whatever right. uh, federal dollars they were getting. And do do you remember the? Uh, I think it was a dog puppet. It was like say nope to dope and ug to drugs. You remember that guy? Nope to dope. No, it was a it was a police officer. Police, it was a dog with though, wasn't a it? ventriloquist. Oh dummy. right, right, right. Oh, no, sorry, no, yeah. it was a police officer ventriloquist <laughs> like, dummy. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, yeah, it was just that. Say nope to dope and ug to drugs. That's and right. That was um that was on all the local channels. or was it just on Channel Eleven? It may it, have just been on Metro Media. It Channel might have 11. been. I know, it was, but it's very specific to Los Angeles, and it was on all the time. It was. Yes, it was. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot. He was nope a cop. He's an actual cop. Drugs. What do you have to say? Yeah. What do you have to say, yeah. Sparky? Say nope to dope and ug to drugs. And, and that's what kept me off drugs when I was a child. I was afraid of the mannequin coming to kill me. Right. That and Nancy Reagan, those two. Those are the two that kept me on the straight <laughs> and narrow. Definitely. If Nancy Reagan had come with a with a with a mannequin, yeah. I would have been terrified. I also want to remind people that, you know, if you if this episode was painful for you and you were thinking to yourself, God. I wish I could revisit some of the previous episodes that were a little mm. more uh, good times. How do you, you do can. it? Hey, Jimmy. They're, they're all. Hey, Jimmy, how do you do it? Well, thank you for asking, Dave. They're all on our website at TNGEEZ.com. All the episodes. All the episodes. All 21 of them so far, Jimmy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, with some great episode art. And then you could also follow us on Facebook at at TNGs and also on Instagram. If you go on the website, you can see all the links for that. You could be our friends. And our yeah, our beautiful YouTube channel, which has I mean I mean, hold on to your hats, everybody. There's an unboxing video on that channel and it's wonderful. People are into these unboxing videos. And and I'm old, so I do an unboxing video about old Playmate toys. We also uh, have some videos that we make as promos. We're trying to create more content for you folks, but, you know, we're only two yeah. uh, middle-aged men. If you ever get sick of listening to us, then why don't you go onto the YouTube channel and you can also get sick of watching us. Both. Let's uh, sign this thing off. I'm Commander Davey Dave. And I'm Onar and Andrew. And you've been listening to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Oh my god, enough already with these. Let's go mine the store. Tasha Yar! I'm not ready for this, I'm not ready for this, Dave! I'm not ready for Tasha Yar! To be gone! I'm sorry, Tasha. You need to be eaten by a tall monster. Did you, um, yes? do, can you give me one of those Peter Marshall Tasha Yars? I've been, I've been waiting to hear, uh... Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so... Tasha, what's the name of the monster in Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein? I 
I believe it's Adam. She says it's Adam. Dave? Uh, I disagree. You're correct. The monster had no name. It's a- Circle gets the square. This is the end, dum-dum-dum, beautiful friend, the end. Yes, it's Tashiar Swan Song. This is our goodbye to Tasha. Episode 22 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Goodbye, Tasha Yar. We never really even knew you at all. Break out the tissues, folks. We're losing our head. Of security, that is. Just start the episode. Oh, God. That's right. The infamous skin of evil. (laughs) You'll meet popular new entity, Armus. Dear Armus, don't be so emotional. (laughs) The boys don't forget to give you a little robot love. Bigga, bigga, bigga. And even through their tears, they have time for a little Ferengi. Excuse me, I've come down with the Ferengi flu. And it's the episode where our captain really takes charge. Here comes here comes Daddy. I'm coming down. St- stand by, I'll be right there. Join us for our tearful farewell to Tashi R on the next episode of ST TNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. <laughs> Good times!